Welcome to episode 49 of Contested Catch. It is officially our week five preview. We're excited, man. We've had a, a, a slow week in terms of content for Contested Catch. We've been very busy, um, but we're excited for this episode because obviously there's a lot to talk about going into week five. First, I want to get to how are you? How's it going in the uh, upper western New York area? No, I'm not going to lie. Well, I've had better mornings. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, heartbreaker last night. Absolutely. The Yanks, the Yanks, they fought, they tried, and they lost. But this was a weird season. Um, you know, I thought we were going to have a chance to really do something this year, but it is what it is. As long as Houston we'll doesn't win the next series. Absolutely. I'm rooting for the, for the yeah, Rays that's now. That's all that really matters. Yeah. I'm rooting for the Rays. I am back in western new york as well i am recording live from buffalo of course there's no game this this week we'll get to that um well there might be a game this week but there's no game in buffalo this week um but we're representing hard from western new york right now so that's good stuff um jeff i want to kick it off with some thursday night football takeaways and i'm going to start it with one of my favorite guys (laughs) who you love to get get on before uh and that's of course david montgomery he now has back-to-back games of career-high targets uh, sans Tariq Cohen. He was still inefficient in a game where the offense struggled, but are you optimistic about his rest-of-season outlook with his bell cow role appearing to be solidified? And before I let you answer here, one other thing to add here is Adam Levitan of ETR tweeted that Monty averaged 2.2 targets per game last year, three the first three games this year, and now seven since Cohen's injury. It feels like there's a re- legit chance that he's going to see the receiving usage that I've been saying I think he deserves. Um, I mean, it's volume is the play here. He's still, I still don't think he looks that good. The Bucks do have a solid, uh, one of the best run defenses in the NFL. So, I mean, 10 carries for 29 yards is sort of, you know, I guess excusable. The seven receptions, I mean, that will continue to provide a solid PPR floor if he keeps that volume up. Um, also keep in mind, like Cordell Patterson was more efficient in the past game, and some of the, he runs those wheel routes that Nick Foles so, throws so well a lot better. So, I mean, yeah, the the volume should help keep him in that upper RB two tier. But I you know I'm not holding out for hopes for like a RB one type of breakout season from him because he just I don't think he has that type of talent, and I don't think the Bears are going to have that high of an offense to elevate a mediocre talent to upper fantasy production. Mm, that's fair. Um, I, I am excited. I do think he's a buy, and I think this was actually like a perfect week because it really solidified his role in the offense, I thought, as well as still gave you the chance to be like, oh, dude, he's not producing. Look, he's 29 yards, same thing as 2019, right? Um, I think you're right about Cordero Patterson. He's always been a very explosive player. I don't think that he represents a legit threat to volume, though. Um, and the good news for Monty, what you said about the wheel routes that Nick Foles throws so well, well, they called one up for him. Foles actually audible to the play, um, and Monty had a, a wheel route that A-Rob set a pick for, and he looked pretty good. It was actually underthrown, but he looked pretty good in the past game as well, I'll say. Um, but so I guess we'll, uh, we'll agree to disagree a little bit on the optimism on, on Monty there. A guy I do think we are very in in, uh, in line with is Allen Robinson, and he continued to dominate. He was seventh in rock coming into week five. And Jeff, I want to know how high would you rank him at this point, based on how you know he was absolutely peppered top ten in week 
in week five. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I was gonna. I was actually thinking, is he like six seventh now? He might be. It's tough because that's. It's just so flat there. Like I don't think I'm not ready to put him in that upper tier for fantasy purposes yet. So I think he's solidly in that second tier if the chemistry with Foles keeps getting better and you know Matt Nagy keeps calling plays that are more in line with Foles' skill set and they get better. I do think he can jump into that top tier of fantasy receivers, but just because of how rocky things still are, um, I just think he's solidly in that second tier. Um, also, like Foles was doing a lot better when they were playing that up-tempo um, offense Thursday night. So, I mean, and that's also good for fantasy just because of it's increasing the volume. So if that play style is not just increasing volume, but also efficiency, that would be huge for Robinson. So, you know, patience is paying off for those who drafted Allen Robinson that third, fourth round, had to go through a little bit more of Trubisky's incompetence. But um, I mean, I th- he's locked in as a wide receiver one the rest of the way. Yeah, I, I agree with your take there. Um he is so exciting to watch. Um, the the volume has been there just like we thought it was. He was in that tier for me. That was Adam Thielen, Allen Robinson, and Juju Smith Schuster in my in my ranks this summer. Um, and I, you know, I just felt really good about the volume for all three. I think it's been true for Thielen and A Rob so far. We'll see what happens with Juju. But good stuff there. Um, shifting over to Tampa Bay side of things now. Ronald Jones looked great Thursday night. I have heard some you know great things of people evaluating his performance. He didn't have to contend with Shady or Fournette this week, though. Does that feel like the up and down vibe, you know, we've been getting from some of these RBs every week? You know, Leonard Fournette will have a great week and then Rojo will have a great week and then it'll go back to someone else. I mean, it feels like people are saying, oh, this is this is Rojo's now, you know, his step into the RB1A role again. Isn't that just going to flip again next week? What are your thoughts on this backfield? I've really had a tough time getting a read here. Arians just is says one thing and changes his mind two days later. But the best thing that, you know, one of these backs can do is have a game like Rojo did and help to solidify his hold on the RB1 role. So, I mean, I, basically Rojo is going to, he's pretty much earned the right at this point to be the starter heading into the week six game. And if he just keeps this up, then he will I believe he would maintain that RB1 or at the very least RB1A role if he keeps producing like this. I mean, he looked more elusive than what I can recall seeing out of Leonard Fournette. And if that ankle sprain for Fournette was of the high ankle type that we've seen limit backs for four to six weeks, even if he's kind of playing through it, it's like that elusiveness and like power from him. Like it's still, that's not going to be there. And Rojo's just going to be better even because of the injury. So I feel like um, managers of him can feel pretty confident that he's going to be the lead back for at least another week, if not two. Um, you know, but maybe he could also be a sell high if you get a pretty solid offer for him, just because of that uncertainty. But like, I think if he just solidifies the role, he's also a potential league winner, considering you were drafting him like the seventh round. I I agree with the latter point about him being a sell high, and the reason is I. Even if he becomes the RB1A in terms of running when it's a neutral situation or a lead, it just doesn't feel like they're going to trust him as the lead pass down back. Um, Shady has been getting steady targets, and now you know it's kind of inflated by 
you know, certain drives or something. Um, Leonard Fournette seems to be the preferred option on pass downs as well. So, and obviously Keyshawn Vaughn is finally getting some usage, not a lot. Uh, he didn't really do much the past two weeks when there's been no one else there, but at the very least he is there and his strength is in the pass game. So I don't know. I, I feel like Ronald Jones is a guy that is just going to break your heart, you know, every other week, basically. And it's, it, or maybe every week because the week that you don't start him, he actually has a great game. The week you start him and think he's there, it's Leonard Fournette time. So that's my take on on for, on uh, Rojo in that backfield. But um, a, and also a very interesting player in Tampa Bay is Mike Evans. And now we know that Chris Godwin has been out for a few weeks. We know that there's really not much else to speak of in terms of established weapons in Tampa Bay, especially once O.J. Howard went down and Gronk continues to look washed. But Jeff, Mike Evans, is he officially a short yardage wide receiver? I mean, we have seen an absurd absurd set of stat lines he finally started to level things out with that late push by by uh by the bucks but uh he still had a, you know another two yard touchdown and really didn't do much the rest of the game until that last drive what is your take on mike evans rest of season i, I still think he's going to be fine it's just been like I said really weird and the fact that he has been able to get those short touchdowns to keep the fancy value like production up um, I mean, his skill set really matches pretty well with Brady's, I think, throwing. I mean, they've just missed a handful of times, like you said. Um, my big takeaway, though, is Tyler Johnson looked good. Yeah. And the rookie, I mean, he, he was a player that analytics community on fantasy football really liked and just didn't understand why there was the disconnect between uh you know, the models versus the film and NFL perception of him. And then this is his first chance to really be in a role for large volume. And he was really good. So, I mean, it's tough from the single, just the season long perspective of, okay, if Godwin and Scotty Miller are back, then does he just get relegated back into that kind of backup role where he's seeing 10 to 15 snaps a game, or is this going to, is the genie out of the bottle and they're going to have to keep him involved in the offense now? I'm not sure, um, but he looked good. And I mean, someone who picked him up in Dynasty the other week, I'm really liking that performance. Mm, well done. Well done. Yeah. You know, just just a reminder that Chris Godwin, you know, continued to pop in limited action before he became the star that he is now. Um, and I'm not saying that Tyler Johnson is going to do that. I'm not going to say Tyler Johnson is going to push Chris Godwin out. But, you know, this is what happened with Chris Godwin, right? We thought Tampa Bay's weapons were pretty established. And Chris Godwin forced himself onto the field, starting by coming in in, um, when there were significant injuries to that wide receiver core. And then eventually it was like, okay, Deshaun Jackson, you can get out of here. We've got a guy that we prefer anyway. Um, And Adam Humphreys was gone and that sort of thing. So is Tyler Johnson what people thought Hakeem Butler was going to be? Um. I don't know. I mean, they play a different style. Hakeem Butler, obviously, is just an enormous human. He's kind of like the bigger version of DK Metcalf and obviously significantly worse. Um, I think that the play with Butler was that he was a versatile, versatile player um, based on his usage at Iowa State. And then there was a thought that he didn't do nearly as much as he could have considering the quarter, the state of the quarterback play there. Um, you know, it was basically Hakeem Butler and David Montgomery at Iowa State. And, you know. I th- I thought I played Neither it a little bit into good. the. What'd you say? Neither is actually good. Neither one's actually that good. <laughs> I mean, they're both. Yeah, I mean, Johnson still six two is pretty good size. So, I mean, yeah, six two, six five is a difference. But and I'm just looking like they both really pro. 
um, maybe kind of that power slot type of player yep. in the new new NFL passing game, except Tyler Johnson actually is going to be good at it. Well, we'll see. That's a, that's a fair take. Um, all right, so moving on here, Jeff, let's go to some fantasy football storylines. Obviously, we didn't have our Tuesday, Tuesday episode where we usually cover some of these. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about what happened last week and our thoughts about it going forward. And Jeff, I'd be remiss if I didn't start with Antonio motherfucking Gibson, baby. Uh, it wouldn't be on brand at all for me to ignore his breakout in week four. So I'm not going to, he saw an, in where I saw an absolutely erotic tweet that my buddy Jack sent me, uh, from Jacob Gibbs, J a Gibbs underscore 23. Uh, he's now through four weeks. Gibson is tied with Josh Jacobs for first in the NFL and broken tackles on half the carries. He's also third in PFF rushing grade, 11th in receiving grade, and eighth in elusiveness grade. He's got a great upcoming schedule. We know that this guy is just kind of like getting better as the weeks go on. He's extremely explosive, and he finally was used as a receiver, which we love to see. J.D. McKissick has served more as a receiving back in Washington, but we finally saw Antonio Gibson get to showcase some of those chops as well. Is it officially Gibbs season, Jeff? Um, I think it's getting there. Uh, you know, as good as he's looked, he still they're only giving him like a 40, 45% snap share, which isn't great, but it's getting there. Um, now we're changing quarterbacks to Kyle Allen, which may, may be better. I mean, Christian McCaffrey still had the best running back season like since Marshall Falk with Kyle Allen as his quarterback. So, I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It could be an upgrade. Um I don't, he's he looks good but sometimes he's to me he still looks like an athlete playing running back and not a running back who's an athlete but he's getting better like so i do think it is going to happen um is it going to be a breakout explosion in week five or is it just going to be gradual and end up you know then have see things just gradually keep going climbing up and i mean I, everyone has explosive games so i'm not gonna say there's not gonna be a hundred yard two touchdown or whatever but you know it, it might be gradual and then we just see the consistent or it might just be this week he establishes that he's the guy i mean who's the football team playing uh tomorrow the rams ah uh, yeah seeing so, like that's not an ideal matchup but also they're going to need to pass the ball so maybe he ends up with 10 catches yeah i mean the way that i look at it is we've seen him score a rushing touchdown in three straight weeks um, he's clearly the goal line back after Peyton Barber's absolute, you know, travesty of play in week one. It was a disaster um, the way that they just threw their their carries down the well. But and also in those last three weeks, he's seen one catch to three catches to four catches and his receiving yardage has gone up as well. It's a kind of a, you know, a simple way to look at it, but it just feels like the usage is getting better as the player is getting better. We know that the raw ability is there. Like you said, he does at times look like an athlete playing running back. I will not deny that at all. I mean, he's still like missing easy, easy lanes or forcing things when they're not actually there, but that stuff's going to come. And the fact that they're still feeding him like the RB1A role tells me that on a team that is looking to, you know, they drafted him in the second round. JD McKissick is basically like an like an afterthought, I think kind of just a placeholder. I think eventually by the end of the season, Gibson is going to have that RB1 period role. Um, so we'll see. I, I think it's just really exciting for anyone who bought in on the hype um, this season. Uh, Jeff, I also want to give ourselves a minute to discuss the firing of Bill O'Brien in Houston and the impact that will have not only on the franchise um, and its players, 
uh, from an NFL perspective, but also a fantasy football perspective. What was your initial reaction? And I guess, how do you see this impacting? Let's start with uh, Deshaun Watson. Bill Bryan, the GM, needed to go. And I, I think it's possible he could have stayed on, um, could have been successful as solely the head coach, but he was like the worst GM or bottom five GM in the league and you needed to get rid of him. And it sounds like the players were just fed up with him and, you know, he and JJ Watt got in a fight and that was basically the end of it. Uh, from a fancy football perspective, like the offense was getting stale and predictable. And it's not like production really could have gotten much worse. So, I mean, I think we're seeing them at their floor. So I guess by the dip. Yeah, I think um, there's obviously uncertainty now with the new play caller, but I'll say this. It only it's mirroring what you're saying. It only can really go up from here because we've already seen Watson just not play at the level we're used to. We've seen Will Fuller have kind of an up and down season so far, despite, you know, the role that we thought was was going to be there. Um, now there's going to be a new play caller uh, or not necessarily a new play caller, but there was about to be a new play caller. The day that he was fired, Bill O'Brien said that uh, allegedly, I think the report came out that morning that he was going to take over rest of season play calling duties. And so I just found that hysterical because in a guy who's had as much power as any single player or single person in the NFL decides that the answer to his team's disastrous start was more power. (laughs) So I think we're all kind of put out of our misery there, especially Houston fans. Uh, My friend Jarrett, who's a big Houston fan, um, you know, he's got to be thrilled that there's no more Bill O'Brien to worry about, you know, because it just felt like he was on the precipice of, I don't know, maybe like trading Deshaun Watson for a first and like Todd Gurley or something like that. Uh, so I think we're all a little relieved. Um, okay, Jeff, going back to the fantasy football uh, realm here, two guys we've been waiting on guys that I've said are buys the past couple of weeks, despite their troubles, Joe Mixon and OBJ. They were two of the three top scores in week four, are you buying that this is here to stay with both of them getting action in the running game and the passing game? You know, we got to remind everyone that OBJ had a had 73 yards and a touchdown rushing as well as the two receiving touchdowns and Joe Mixon, the inverse. Um, but they both looked really good. They both saw volume that we would expect from, from them and even a little bit on the low side for OBJ, but he still produced. So what are your updated thoughts on Joe Mixon and OBJ going into week five? Um, for Mixon, this is really what we were looking for. Um, it is absolutely monster game. Part of me almost wonders if he's maybe even a sell high, just depending on what you can get. Um, you know, just because the schedule is not great coming up. I mean, they play Baltimore this week. So, um, yeah, I kind of look at, okay, the Bengals were in positive game script most of the time against Jacksonville, pretty much the whole game. Now, if they're going to face negative game scripts for the next two or three weeks, could we now see Gio Bernard start getting some of those looks again? I mean, or is just he mixing just going to be the bell cow that we've wanted him to be? Um, for Beach, yeah, like, I mean, not that we're going to see explosions like this every week, but he's locked in, number one receiver. They're going to try and get him, you know, just manufacture touches for him because he is just that dynamic playmaker. Yeah, well said. Well said on both. Um, staying in Cleveland for a second, Cream Hunt obviously expected to receive a huge boost in fantasy value with Chubb now on the shelf for the next couple of weeks. But and you know, Jeff, this was a situation that we talked a lot about in the summer about maybe this is what is needed for Cream Hunt to reach his ceiling. I think he's probably outpaced your expectations for his weekly weekly utility. 
and now he gets no Nick Chubb. Are you at all concerned, though, that this stays closer to an RBBC, obviously running back by committee, uh, in Cleveland because of how much work Dearness Johnson got once Chubb went down in week four? Not really. Um, mostly because Kareem Hunt was nursing that groin injury that I think they were trying not to overwork him and make him more injured and then all of a sudden have to make Dernis Johnson their starting running back. So as long as Kareem Hunt's healthy, I do think he's going to get a significant portion of the work. Uh, but due to the fact that they run the ball so much, I think, you know, Ernest Dernis Johnson is going to get carries, but like there's still going to be plenty of volume for Kareem Hunt. Like, you know, basically a bell cow workload, even if his percent of the running back touches may not be as high as some other like bell cows, just because the volume is so much and they want to spread it out a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, he's already a top 10 running back in terms of his production so far, but we know that he is the preferred pass down option. And now he's the preferred early down option. It is absolutely wheels up on Kareem Hunt. He's looked great this year. I mean, he really does. He There are plenty of times when he looks better than Nick Chubb. And I think that's because Nick Chubb is a really, really good player. But Kareem Hunt just kind of has like a different gear that, I don't know. I mean, it, it, maybe it's just a little, he's, leans, he's got the same like body type, I suppose, and the same power ability. But it seems like he's more elusive, whereas Chubb is just like downhill, I'm going to run through you. You know, that obviously works for Chubb. Chubb's the best pure runner in the game. Um, but Kareem Hunt also has a really soft hands and and really good receiving ability. So I think it's wheels up on Kareem Hunt for the next couple of weeks at least. I think he's at least a top 10 running back now. Um, okay. Are you buying or selling Robert Tanyan as a low-end tight end one going forward? Obviously, this is the Green Bay tight end who took over the job from presumed starter, second-year player Jay Sternberger uh, in Green Bay. And now we're seeing Robert Tanyan absolutely erupt. Now, quick caveats here. Devontae Adams was not playing. Aaron Jones did not see the receiving work that we're used to him seeing. Uh, And Robert Tanyan put up nearly 100 yards and three touchdowns. So, Jeff, what is your take on Robert Tanyan? Is he a low-end tight end one going forward? Can you repeat that? Yeah. uh, Robert Tanyan, tight end one going forward? Um, I think he's a hold. Yeah, I think he's a hold. I mean, listen to these athletics. 46-340, 75th percentile speed score, 82nd percentile burst score. I mean, the athleticism measures are there. So I think he's a hold. Um, and then, like you said, though, Adams was out. And also this was the Atlanta Falcons who have just been awful and even like really bad against tight ends in particular. So... I mean, to me, he's a hold. You know, if someone comes out trading for, you know, offering you top five tight end package, then yeah, sure, sell them. But I mean, people are pretty smart. You know, that's not really likely. So I mean, just hold them. And if, I mean, it's a bye week. So, um, you know, people probably aren't going to be trading for a tight end on a bye week, anyways. Um, I mean, then just see where things go. If it's possible he ends up being a top five tight end and you just, you know, stumbled on a, huge upgrade at the position, or maybe, you know, it's just touchdown roulette. Yeah. And right now he's kind of like the second option or probably third option with a healthy Devontae Adams and then Aaron Jones above him. And then Robert Tanyan. I mean, obviously Alan Lazard's on the shelf. MVS hasn't done as much as we'd probably expect given the state of things there. 
And Aaron Aaron Rodgers looks like an MVP candidate right now. So um, the way he's playing. So that speaks well for Robert Tanyan's production going forward. I'm just not convinced that he's going to be even remotely close to as good as he was, you know, on on, on uh, Sunday night. But we'll see. I mean, I've been a hater on this offense in, in certain aspects uh, before. So, um, Jeff, how about DJ Chark? Just like you said last week, in his return to action, he was a focal point and was dominant on nine targets. We, we were wondering, you know, the first two weeks, there was, it felt like an outlier um, in terms of his usage. He was obviously super efficient. We know his talents there. And this week, week four, he caught eight, eight passes for 95 yards and two touchdowns on nine targets. He was clearly the focal point uh, for Jacksonville. Is he back in the wide receiver two conversation going forward, or is this more of a blip and a sell-high opportunity? No, I think he's definitely back in the wide receiver two conversation. Um, I just don't think he's going to reach that top end wide receiver two, low end wide receiver one that we saw for a good portion of last year. And that's mostly just because the emergence of Keelan Cole and then the continued growth and involvement of LaVisca Chenault. Chenault's seen increase in snaps and uh, touches each of the past four weeks. And then I think they'll try and keep that going, which will just sort of limit Shark's ceiling. But I do think he's pretty much locked in as a wide receiver too going forward. Yeah, I think the safe place to project him right now is is at the high end, probably wide receiver 15, and at the low end, maybe wide receiver 20. You know, you could even maybe go a little bit lower than that. But I think the point is that, like, he's explosive. He's a red zone threat. His athleticism's there, and his quarterback loves to throw to him. And his quarterback's pretty damn good at throwing downfield as well. Chark's the downfield. I mean, it's, it's just like it all clicks. It's just... There's not that next couple things like um, he gets all the red zone targets and there's no running game and we constantly have positive game scripts or negative game scripts, but good game scripts for him. So I think you're right that there's just a couple things holding him back from that true like fantasy football stardom. With that said, I'm excited to have him on my team. Um, speaking of wide receiver twos, how concerned, if at all, are you about Terry McLaurin in Washington now considering the shift to Kyle Allen from Dwayne Haskins. Now, obviously, we know that Dwayne Haskins, the uh, first-round pick last year, benched, not just benched, Jeff, but brought all the way down to the third-string quarterback uh, after week four. Ron Rivera, Riverboat Ron, is making, I think, a pretty bold move here. But we've also seen, like you already said, Kyle Allen supported Christian McCaffrey, and um, DJ Moore actually did pretty darn well with Kyle Allen at quarterback last year as well. So, He's a, he's not very good downfield, as Curtis Samuel can attest. But at the very least, we saw him have some success in Carolina. How concerned are you, if at all, about Terry McLaurin going forward? Not at all. I think it's actually a good move for Logan Thomas as well, who's seen like all the peripherals you want out of a tight end, but just hasn't been able to connect. I mean, so if it's a quarterback upgrade, then it's good for everyone there. Okay, fair enough. I agree. I think Terry McLaurin, if, you, if, there's, if this gives any sort of doubt about Terry McLaurin's status uh, as a buy, then buy him. You know what I mean? Like, just go out and get him. This guy is not someone you want to mess around with. Uh, he is absolutely a, a player that you should be considering as a target in all leagues. Um, and we talked about him a little bit uh, in the catch-up this week as well, but I think he came in at uh, seventh in rock now. Or was it sixth? Let me double-check. He came in at... Uh, keeps defaulting to weeks two through three. Oh, it's got week five in there now. Interesting. Oh yeah, updated it Friday. Cool. 
Uh, yeah, Terry McLaurin is sixth in rock through four weeks now. So he is a legit, legit wide receiver one volume player, and we hope that continues with Kyle Allen. Um, Jeff, Latavius Murray goes off again in week four. 14 carries, 64 yards, two touchdowns, no receiving work with a healthy Kamara. What are you valuing him at going forward? Because we've seen him be not only just like a usable flex, but like an RB2. Is this New Orleans backfield turning into what we saw in the past with Mark Ingram and Kamara? I mean, a little bit. But, I mean, and given how wiped out the running backs have been this year, he's probably in that lower-end RB2 territory with the touchdown upside. Um, but for me, a lot of this is also just due to the Michael Thomas injury where Kamar is picking up a lot of the slack in the receiving game. And as a result, they're signing Murray in for Kamara's rushing work. So I think when Michael Thomas is back and healthy, then Kamara's receiving work will get reduced, but then his running usage will increase and Murray's running usage gets decreased so you know you probably got one or two weeks of being able to toss him in as like a flex play and then you know I, I, that's kind of about it yeah i mean in in four games this year he's got three games of 12 carries or more he also has uh three games of of one or less catches so um you know it's a pretty one-dimensional role and he's kind of not, I wouldn't say useless, but he's really going to disappoint you if you play him at any more than a flex if he doesn't score a touchdown. But with that said, I mean, like you said, he's still out there and he still looks good. And for the time being, at least, Kamara is being used more as a receiver than anything else. So, um, okay. One last guy for fantasy football storyline, Jeff, and that is Damian Harris. Obviously, the uh, second second year running back out of New England. He's a, a guy that I was big on this summer, wanted in every draft. And then because of a finger issue, he absolutely screws us. You know, obviously no fault of his own. Lands on IR for the first three weeks. Well, he comes back and immediately rushes 17 times for 100 yards. He didn't get receiving work, which we hope changes going forward. But once Cam returns, the run game should be even better. And I think Harris has a legit shot to lead this backfield, especially because Sony Michelle is on IR himself at this point. Thoughts, Jeff, on Damian Harris and his rest of the season outlook? I like him. Uh, for pretty much all the reasons we laid out in the preseason, especially when Cam comes back, that should also really open up the ground attack. Um, you know, like it's just going to be the typical New England backfield where sometimes he just isn't really game scripted in, or you know, ends up being a James White Rex Burkhead game. But for the most part, I think he's probably a running back too going forward. Love to hear it. Love to hear it. I really, I agree with you. And I think that this is, um, if there's a guy in this backfield you want, I think it's Damian Harris. And that's because it, James White is a great player. I think he's really good. I had James White just above Damian Harris in my final rankings this offseason or this summer rather. Uh, but Damian Harris, just the way that this offense is going right now, it feels like he's going to be the one who gets the consistent volume. And I think that, you know, with Rex Burkhead's eruption in week three, um, I think that Damian Harris could easily have that type of game where he, you know, scores the short rushing touchdowns, um, you know, if, if they don't all go to cam and then he also gets some red zone work as the defense is, you know, scrambling to cover Edelman and Nikhil Harry, I guess if a defense would ever scramble to cover them. <laughs> um, okay. Moving on, Jeff, let's go to our DFS preview section now. And I want to start with talking about stacks. Uh, what game stacks you're looking at this week that you want to build around your favorite ones uh, and then what that turns into in terms of a top lineup that you're looking at this week. 
right. So he's starting at the quarterback position. Um, I mean, Dak is probably going to be the chalk play again, going against the Giants, being like the QB one or two so far going forward. I mean, QB one on the slate with Russ not being there. Um, so I like him and I will make some lineups around him. But, and I think that Dallas New York game is just going to be the, the chalkiest game on the slate. I mean, for good reason. Um, but I think the way to kind of pivot and get a little bit of a differentiation would be Daniel Jones at quarterback, stacking with Slay and or Ingram, and then have Zeke on the opposite side. And that would be kind of on the game script where the Cowboys get up, Zeke ends up with two or three touchdowns, and they're kind of really running and grinding the clock in the second half. And then the Giants are playing, you know, catch up and Danny's just trying to launch the ball for 300 yards and whatever, and pick up another 50 on the ground. So um, we're going to build both scenarios tomorrow with Dak as a QB and then with Daniel Jones on the other side. Um, I mean, Lamar going up against the Bengals, maybe it's just the visual of that nasty spin move, that highlight from beginning of season last year, but it just seems like a smash spot. There's a little concern maybe with him having not practiced for two days this week. I perhaps could lower his ownership, even though Harbaugh's out here saying he's fine. Um, that offense just hasn't seemed like it's quite clicked yet this year. And it's probably tough to find a better get right game than Cincinnati. So if we want to go Lamar as our quarterback, I think we only, even though the million maker so far has been double stacked, every single week this year. I I don't think Lamar is a player that you have to double stack. And then obviously you want to run it back with somebody from Cincinnati. Um, I think Tyler Boyd is probably the chalk play on the run back. I really like pivoting to T Higgins, who just keeps seeing an increase in workload. Um, Jeff, real quick. Um, just talk about what the double stack strategy looks like and some of the alternatives. I'm not sure everyone is familiar with what that means. So double stack means that you're discount playing, double check. <laughs> uh, it means that you're playing the qu- quarterback, and then you're pairing them with two other players on their on offense. So with Lamar, it could be Lamar, Hollywood, and Mark Andrews would be a double stack, or you know Mahomes, Tyree, and Kelsey. That's a super expensive stack, but you can do it. Um, so that's what that terminology means. Um, so let's see if I go, if you were to do a double stack like that, so let's just say for this, for this scenario, um, Lamar, Mark Andrews and Hollywood, would you consider also having a fourth member of the game stack, someone like Boyd or Higgins, or is that too much exposure to one game? Nope. It's fine. Um, that's really what teams have been doing this for the, the big tournament winners so far. Um, what was I going to say? I mean, like last year or last week, it was Dak, Amari, CD, and Odell. That was how you won the Millie Maker. So let's just see. Lamar, Zeke, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Marquise Brown, Brandon Cooks, Alameda Zacchaeus, Drew Sample, Mike Davis, and the Rams defense comes out as one of our top lineups doing that. Um, I love Zacchaeus this week with Julio being out, Ridley still being hob- hobbled. 
he's kind of like your free square wide receiver that's going to see like probably eight to 10 targets in uh, what's going to also be one of the more popular game stacks of Atlanta and Carolina. Um, but that's- I got to say, I, I think Zacchaeus, he was someone that I was in on as a prospect a couple of years ago. Um, the reason I'm excited about him is because I compared him back then to what it felt like he could be the next like Victor Cruz type player that is just unheralded, counted out because of his size. But at the end of the day, man, this guy's a baller. He scores in a lot of different ways in, in college. Uh, he's only 5'8", 190 pounds. He was undrafted out of Virginia, but he's got a 4'5 speed. And, you know, kind of like, I guess, questionable the rest of his, uh, his, his athletic measurables. But really, to me, it just feels like he's kind of a Victor Cruz type. Player profiler actually has him compared to Jamison Crowder. But that's just like the shifty player that people are counting out. And guess what? He's in one of the highest volume pass attacks there is. All of the wide receivers are banged up, really. And, you know, who's to say that Olamide couldn't, uh, couldn't come out and emerge as a, a weekly player taking over Russell Gage's spot? Yeah, absolutely. Or even on the outside. I don't remember where he was lining up last week, but I mean, he was just getting the looks. Um, so he's going through the running back position this week. Zeke is the only, like, kind of top tier back from like no Kamara, no McCaffrey, no Saquon, no Chubb. Um, so Zeke's like the only person who's even up um, above 7,000 this week. Um, I mean, for, he'll be well on the book for good reason. Um, I mean, then it's easy to pivot down to Clyde Edwards Hilaire against the Raiders. I mean, this could be a really good game script for him. Obviously, Kareem Hunt now being thrust into the bell cow role and with Indianapolis potentially missing both of their starting linebackers. I mean, that sounds like a smash spot to me. Um, I don't know. I don't really like Miles Sanders going up against Pittsburgh this week. I just have a tough time seeing that offense getting going. And... I don't know, James Robinson, I mean, this kid's been balling Houston this week. Um, yeah, I expect that to be a higher scoring game. And I feel like that's actually kind of a sneaky game stack of uh, neither one of these teams have really been that good. But, I mean, bad defenses equal offensive points. So, James Couldn't Robinson. you see this being like a blow-up spot for Deshaun Watson, who has a little bit more control over what the, the Texans are doing on offense now? Maybe you stack Deshaun Watson, Will Fuller, DJ Chark. Yeah, why not? I mean, you've even sprinkled David Johnson in, perhaps, or Duke Johnson. Jeff, let's shift over now to your favorite plays of the week. You know, they can be chalkier ones. We'll talk about some sneakier ones after. But who are just some guys that you're like, I want to make sure these are in some of my favorite lineups? I, I like Robbie Anderson. Uh, which, mm. As someone who's heavily invested in DJ Moore is kind of tough for me to say. But um, I don't Robbie Anderson's being used the way that DJ Moore was used last year. And DJ Moore is kind of being used the way Curtis Samuel was last year. So, um, you know, I mean, DJ Moore, his peripherals are still solid and he's still somewhat of a buy low, but his peripherals are that of kind of a lower half wide receiver too. Robbie Anderson has those better opportunity numbers and peripherals and he so far has the production to match it. So, um, I mean, like, there's a very strong argument for Robbie Anderson to be the wide receiver one in that offense going forward, as much as I don't like it, but that's what the numbers say. It's not just like, oh, he got the touchdowns and DJ Moore 
hasn't and DJ Moore's, you know, got more opportunity. No, Robbie Anderson has more opportunity so far and has the production. So, I mean, they're priced pretty much identically. Anderson might be a little more higher owned, so you may probably won't get as much um, like differentiation there, but it's, it's going to be pretty close. Jeff, I think I think something to say about Robbie Anderson, because we talked about this a little bit in the buys and sells episode earlier this week with Kyle Singer. Um, Robbie Anderson is 10th in rock and DJ Moore is 15th. And, you know, you already laid out the case about how what their roles kind of have materialized as. But I think something that's really big is that Robbie Anderson has seven red zone targets and DJ Moore has one. Now, Robbie Anderson only has one touchdown and DJ Moore has zero. But still, this is like something I, I commend you and I always have appreciated this in you, your willingness to adapt. Obviously, you were a big DJ Moore fan going into the season. It's not like it's not DJ Moore season. Like there's no there's no chance that he does anything. We're not saying that. But the fact that you're willing to say that Robbie Anderson might be the wide receiver one that we want in Carolina is kudos to you. And also, I just think it might just be the reality of the situation right now. The usage points to that. And unfortunately, DJ Moore's talent has just not shined through. We know that Robbie Anderson was a talented player. He finally got rid of Adam Gase uh, by going to Carolina. Um, So it's an interesting situation and definitely something we're keeping our eye on. Yeah, and one one more thing I want to add to this is friend of the show, Evan Silva brought this up in the preseason that Teddy Bridgewater and Robbie Anderson were together in New York for a season. Uh, I mean, Teddy was backup, but they do have a year of chemistry that Teddy and DJ Moore are still establishing. So I mean, I think that probably is a reason that Anderson is ahead of Moore right now. And I mean, we have to recognize that, obviously, as I just did. It could mean that as um, if Moore is the better player than Anderson, even if it's maybe marginally that as they get more familiarity together, that Moore could start to outpace Anderson as the year goes on. Um, and so, I mean, I think it's just it's going to be a good offense for fantasy purposes. So um, I guess the one receiver moving on that I like this week is Devonte Parker. He's clearly established himself as the number one player in Miami. Now that that hamstring injury is basically behind him, he's priced pretty cheaply at 5,900 and they're going up against a depleted St. Francisco secondary. Um, I mean, they're basically rolling out back every corner position. So, I mean, I think Parker is going to take advantage of that. I really like him this week. He's, you know, basically in a smash spot. Yeah, well said. I think um, I want to quickly go back to one thing you said about Cincinnati. You said you really like pivoting to T. Higgins. I don't disagree with you because T. Higgins' emergence has definitely been uh, a real thing as as A.J. Green's kind of you know declined in usage. And you said that you thought Tyler Boyd would probably be the chalkier play, but you like to pivot to T. Higgins. To me, I actually like Boyd better because it just feels like this matchup is going to lend itself to the safety blanket for Joe, for Joe Burrow. Um, rather than kind of like the big play, because I think the Baltimore defense is really good, and I think they're probably going to overpower this offensive line, give it enough opportunities. And so we know that Joe Burrow is probably going to throw it a ton. I mean, probably 50 attempts, (laughs) I think, would be a pretty safe guess based on what we've seen in the past. Uh, I mean, that's obviously the upper bound, but still. Um, And I think Tyler Boyd is is very likely to see 10-plus targets in a game where he might, you know, he might not get a bunch of big plays, but if you're in a PPR format, it feels like he's the better play because T. Higgins, AJ Green, these guys are more reliant on a bigger gain or a touchdown rather than the underneath option. So that's my take on that. And then another guy I like this week, 
like you already said, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire talked about him a bunch on the catch-up, uh, our weekly newsletter comes out on Thursdays. And that's because all of the usage indicators, all of the signals say that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is about to erupt. And so I'm going to say this both for season long and for DFS this week. By Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, this is a perfect game for him to absolutely demolish the Vegas, the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, I just don't see this usage not translating into production sooner rather than later. And so in season long, if there's any you know inkling, I've talked to a bunch of friends who have been talking, should I try to buy Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? You keep talking about him. Yes. Yes. Buy Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Um, okay. Jeff, any sneaky plays, any really low ownership type darts that you like, low cost, um, guys that you think are worth tossing in the lineups this week to capture some of that upside? I mean, we've really covered most of the players I like. So, I mean, it's wheels up for Jarek McKinnon still. That's basically what I got. There you go. Okay. All right. So let's transition out to the best bets part of our show. Um, obviously, we're going to talk about some of the bets we like this week, and I'll kick it off, Jeff. This is a kind of a tricky slate for me. Um, I'm not like enamored. There's not like a single bet that I'm like, oh, yes, yes, yes. They're all a little tricky, I think. Um, but I'll start by saying I like Cleveland plus one against Indianapolis. I think Cleveland has played about as well as we could have hoped the last couple of weeks, considering this, their start. Um, yes, they lose Nick Chubb, but I honestly think this might be a good thing because I think what that might mean is that like a you know majority of Kareem Hunt, who's obviously a really good receiver, might allow Cleveland to go back and pass more frequently, use their playmaker in Odell Beckham Jr., use Austin Hooper, use Kareem Hunt in the past game. Obviously, they've still got Jarvis Landry. So I like I think Cleveland's being a little disrespected here with the plus one um, being one bump point underdogs. So I like that one. I also like Pittsburgh versus Philly, the over in that game. And the reason is, I think, if nothing else, Pittsburgh might be able to hit it on their own. Uh, their defense is really good. And Philadelphia's propensity for turning it over um, right now with Carson Wentz at the helm make, makes me think that there could be a couple, uh, you know, pick sixes, fumble sixes, something like that. But at the same time, Pittsburgh is antsy. They're, they've got an extra week of rest after getting that manufactured buy in week four. Deontay Johnson is back. Philadelphia, like you said, will have a tough time against this defense like Miles Sanders, but we still know that they are able to put up some points. So I think if you can count on Philly to put up uh, 14, 17, 20 points, I think Pittsburgh does the rest. So I like the over in that one. And then the last game I'll talk about is Arizona minus seven and a half versus the Jets. I know Arizona has been disappointing so far this year. I've counted them out in, in certain games, um, but I think that this is you know, it's. I wish it was seven even because you you, know, you could probably feel pretty good about eventually. Uh, you know, the lower end maybe just being pushing there. But Arizona minus seven and a half versus the Jets. I like that one as well. Um, Jeff, any best bets that you like? Any major issues with any of the ones that I picked out? What are your thoughts for this week? Um, all right, so I'm grabbing my lines from Barstool Sportsbook right now. Thank you, Brett Singer, for your uh, great work on this app. <laughs> Um, all right, so first is I like the Panthers plus two and sprinkle the money line against Atlanta. Um, I mean, Atlanta's just bad. Like, I mean, I think Carolina is just probably the better team straight up. So, I mean, yeah, they're on the road, but Atlanta's got the short week. So, I mean, just get me the better team. And um, the Ravens, they opened as about 14, 14 and a half point favorites against the Bengals. They're down to minus 12. Um, no, I'm going to take that. It's a steep line, but 
like I said, I really just think this is Ravens coming out and be like, look, we've been a little flat. You know, let's remind everyone why we were the best team in football last season. So Ravens minus 12 against the Bengals. And I do like your over a 44 for the Steelers Eagles game. I mean, big concern there is, are the Eagles going to find the end zone? My guess is yes, at some point, And then the Steelers would do the rest. Dolphins, Dolphins plus eight and a half um, against St. Francisco. You know, basically, you know, St. Francisco's defense, like I said, is very porous right now. So, I mean, you're giving the Ryan Fitzpatrick more than a touchdown. I mean, he's been decent this year. He's going to toss the ball up. Dolphins have been playing fast. I think they'll be fine. And then lastly is I like Justin Herbert and the Chargers plus nine in New Orleans on Monday Night Football. I think Herbert has played fantastic for a rookie this year. I still don't think the Saints and Breeze look uh, like they have in years past. So, I mean, uh, Pep Hamilton and Anthony Lynn have done a great job bringing Herbert forward. And I think, you know, especially with no fans again, I, I, I don't think that there's going to really be any like Monday night, you know, kind of starstruck or, you know, whatever. I think Herbert comes out has a good game plus nine. That's a lot of points. I'm going to take them. Yeah, I completely agree with your take on the Chargers Saints Monday night game. That is a great call. Plus nine for the Chargers there. We both like it. Um, all right, good stuff, Jeff. Let's move on to our Bills preview section. Bum, bum, bum. Bills are 4-0. Um, currently, the game is slated for Tuesday. I want to start by getting your thoughts. Just give me a probability that this game is actually played Tuesday night. Tennessee has two straight days of negative testing, I think. So they should be opening up the facility for practice today, tomorrow, and Monday. So I guess 69%. Okay. <laughs> Very nice. Um, yeah. I mean, for a for the majority of this week, I think everyone was thinking this game's not happening. Bills are probably going to get a forfeit here um, in their favor, obviously because Tennessee just continued to have positive tests and the outbreak just continued to spread. I think they're up to 23 total tests, uh, positive tests now. And we don't really have like updates in terms of guys that are no longer testing positive or anything, but that's just the total number since the outbreak began. Jeff, if the Bills game is played on Tuesday, uh, obviously against the Titans, what is your stance on the way this game is going to shake out? So I think that Jeffrey Simmons is on the COVID reserve list. Corey Davis is on the COVID reserve list. Christian Fulton is on the COVID reserve list. Is Adam Humphreys might be on it too, or he was just injured? He's on the COVID reserve list as well. Okay. So no Corey Davis, no Adam Humphreys, no Jeffrey Simmons, no Christian Fulton. And then AJ Brown uh, did not participate with the bone bruise in his knee. So that means Tennessee will be without all three of their starting wide receivers. They'll be without their stud interior defensive tackle, Jeffrey Simmons, and they'll be without their rookie cornerback, Christian. Um, and they'll have like three days of practice, official practice in the last two weeks. I mean, if that would just be kind of embarrassing if the Bills don't come out and just get like lay down the hammer. I agree. Uh, I, I definitely like the Bills on this one. I think we could be talking, Jeff. For our 50th episode of Contested Catch next week, we could be looking at the Bills at 5-0. and And that would be something special. That'd be awesome. Um, yeah, I like the Bills in this one. 
the one thing is the Titans defense is very talented. I think they're probably a tier or two below the Bills defense in terms of talent level. Both defenses have underperformed so far this year. So I, I think that there's a chance that, you know, if the Bills defense stays at the level they've been playing at, Ryan Tannehill really gets things into gear despite the ra- injury-ravaged um, offensive weapons he's had. Uh, there's a, And the Bills have obviously struggled against the run, so Derrick Henry, this is a good spot for him. Um, I think there's a chance that Tennessee can pull out an upset, but I think the Bills should be favored by a couple points at least. Um, and I like them to probably win a slightly lower scoring game, maybe something like 24-17 Buffalo. So that's where I'm going to go right now. Um, and, you know, I, at the end of the day, man, we just hope this game's played. It's no fun to, you know, I guess it would be nice to, to just get a free win. But um, it, you know, at the end of the day, we want to see our team on the field. So, Jeff, any final thoughts here as we wrap up our Week 5 preview and another big-time week at Contessa Catch? Well, go vote, I guess. <laughs> go vote. Okay. Have a profitable weekend. <laughs> Have a profitable, Have a profitable weekend. weekend, everyone. If you know, and- you know. And to do that, you might want to check out our DFS tool uh, that we've been tweeting about incessantly, it feels like, but with good reason. We finished our top lineup, finished 28th out of 71,000 last week. That's uh, good for 99.999th percentile. Um, really good stuff. Jeff, Jeff recently, uh, in the last couple of weeks, made it more customizable, even better. So check that out. That's contestacatch.com forward slash DFS. Uh, you can also check out our rock score, which we reference frequently on every show, contestacatch.com forward slash ROC. So with that said, thank you, Jeff. Thank you for all of you listening. We appreciate you guys. We wish you good luck in the weekend to come, and we'll catch you next time.